my father was uh, turned away from um, Catholic school. They, they said, no, uh, he can come to religion class, but only if somebody walks him home afterwards. And then um, he, we can't teach him. We, don't, we can't do that. Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. Welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. If you're not quite sure, I am Drew Tadia, <laughs> and I'll be the host of this show. Today, I'm interviewing Mary Harper, and she's going to tell an incredible story about her, herself, and her siblings growing up with two blind parents. And this was super interesting to me. I grew up with a, very close to my grandmother. She was a, a block away. She was deaf, so she didn't hear very much. Very much. She read lips, and there was definitely limitations in her life. And I helped her out as we as we I grew up with her, and she got around quite well. But taking that to the next level, and then some with not just one parent being blind, but two. Mary talks about laying her mother's clothes out for her at a very young age, what her mother did to help her father match socks. Her mother was mostly stayed at home, but as young children, they helped walk their parents to around town at stoplights, over curbs. And these are little things that I don't think that most of us think about. I certainly don't. So maybe I'm just talking about uh, my personal experience, but things that we do on a regular day-to-day basis that we don't even think about not only did Mary and her siblings go through this, but they had to help their parents navigate through life. And she said they didn't even really notice that they were different than everyone else at at such a young age because that was just normal. That was their life. And they adapted to that. Her father worked his way up to be a lawyer. And I could not imagine. She said that she that her dad had to rely on someone to show up at the library and read him books. I'm talking about textbooks and having the ability to memorize everything that someone is reading to you. That is a crazy amount of skill and ability. And he, he was very motivated. I, I, I guess you could say he was motivated by love. I'm gonna not gonna I'm gonna let that dangle for you. I'm not gonna give too much away. Because I want you to hear this interview. But I, I'm super grateful for Mary coming on and sharing this story with with us and with our audience. And we hope you enjoy. So sit back. We got all that coming up. Uh... This is Exploring Mind and Body. Naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host, Drew Tadia. Welcome to another edition of Nationally Syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. We're super excited to introduce a brand new guest. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really happy to be here. It is our pleasure. Well, let's jump into it. Tell us who you are and what you do. Well, I'm Mary Harper, and it took me over 10 years to write a book about my blind parents. They were completely blind. And the book is called The Sound of Her Voice, My Blind Parents Story. Um, it was quite an ordeal to get through because there's so many stories I wanted to tell and 
how to tell them was um, not an easy process, but after several drafts of it, uh, I finally was happy with it. And uh, here I am. So why did you decide to write a book about your parents? They had so many stories about growing up blind in Indiana that and how they met and how they lived their lives that I, I didn't want them to be forgotten. Uh, I wanted it written down for my children and for my grandchildren. And um, originally I wasn't writing for anybody else. And then people were reading it and they said, oh, this is really good. I want to read it and finish the book. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so um, that's when I decided to go ahead and publish it and make it available to anyone who was interested. And it's amazing um, how inspiring, how People have told me how inspiring it is. Uh, I did not sit down to write a book that was inspirational. If I had done that, I'd still be staring at a blank screen. But um, it turned out that people really resonate with this story, and um, they uh, it apparently it inspires them. So, tell me what it was like for you. Do you do you have siblings? I do. I am the youngest of four. My oldest sister is 10 years older than I am, and she has since passed from cancer, but uh, I still have my brother who is six years older and a sister who is three years older than I am. So um, it was interesting because I had many conversations with my oldest sister. She was 10 when I was born. So and she told me, Mary, we were in two totally different families, really, because when she was born, it, it, she had different responsibilities than I did. Uh, and as the youngest... My mom and dad were a little bit more um, lax. I mean, not that I could get away with a lot, but uh, it, it was a little easier for them by then. They've had some practice. <laughs> Tell me what it was like for you and your siblings to have, so both of your parents were blind. Is that correct? Yes, completely blind. So tell us what that was like. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me that, and I can't really answer it in 30 seconds or less because it's such a complex um topic it, it's uh, so many different things that i could tell you like uh well it was very frustrating i couldn't go anywhere unless uh, someone would drive us or uh having to walk down to the grocery store wasn't much fun because it was sort of embarrassing when i was in middle school and had to walk down to the store nobody walks to the grocery store in muncie indiana you know it, it, or standing outside taking a uh, bus if we wanted to go somewhere it was either the bus my bicycle or we walked, um, or we were dependent on other people to to drive us. So as a result, we stayed home a lot. Um, or I became very independent as well. Um, my parents were extremely independent, my father especially. He had a seeing eye dog, and uh, it, this is sort of hard for me because I usually tell the story from the beginning when how they became blind and so forth, but I'll, I'll get back to that. Um, but as far as being a child of blind parents, we were also always on display. Um, my mother was very, very worried about people judging her. So she would, before she would go anywhere, she would always change her outfit into a dress that she knew was clean. She took, uh, she uh, got her makeup on. She did her hair. She always made sure that she looked okay. Um, I don't know very many other children growing up in families where the parents would say, do I have any spots on me? I'm like, I, that was normal for me as a kid, but now I realize uh, not too many uh, people who are sighted ask that because they can look in the mirror. My parents could not look in a mirror. Uh, they needed us as their mirror. Um, so beyond being perfectly dressed herself, we had to be perfectly well-behaved, um, especially in public. We had to be clean. Um, she was extremely worried that Children's Protective Services would take us away because 
you know, she's a blind parent. She can't see. She can't raise these children. Um, and that, it turns out, it was a very real fear. She would tell me about that sometimes when I was a kid. And I was like, man, it's going to take us away. But then when I was doing research for my book, there was several years ago, a couple in Utah, the, both were completely blind. Mother had just had the baby. She was in the hospital. And every single mother I know, sighted or not, has trouble nursing a baby at the very first time. And this woman had some problems nursing. And so the nurse saw this and said, oh, she can't raise this child. So she called the Children's Protective Services in Utah, and they took away the baby. Oh, my No gosh. reason. And this is in the like five years ago or less. Wow. So when my mother had me 70 years ago, I can see why she was worried about that. Um, and, and people would whisper uh, behind her back. Uh, my sister told me this story. They were riding on the bus taking... I wasn't born yet, but my brother and my oldest sister were going to the pediatrician for a checkup, and they were on the bus, and they assumed these two old ladies back there were just sort of chatting away about my mother and describing how she looked and judging how, you know, well, she looks very nice, and I don't know how she does those kids, and, and on and on, and didn't realize that my mother could hear them perfectly well, um, and she was getting more and more angry because of what they were saying about her thinking that, oh, she can't hear because she's blind. Oh. So that's one of the frustrations that my mom had. Um, and, and my sister, too. It was, uh, um, again, having to be uh, always on display. It felt like we were. Uh, dad was always on display. He was in politics. My dad was a lawyer um, and a, a judge. Um, and everything he did made it in the newspaper. <laughs> uh, back This was back in the 40s, of course. But um, I, when I was doing research for uh, this was one of my favorite websites was newspapers.com uh, talking about uh, I, I type in my dad's name and there's a gazillion like a thousand different articles with his name in it uh, because everything he did was news mario peroni flies on a plane it's first time with a dog flying on a plane by himself and i'm like okay and there's a picture of my dad getting on the plane and stuff like that obviously wouldn't happen now uh, but every time he gave a talk about his seeing eye dog to any group uh mario peroni is talking to uh today to or speaking today to a cub scout group number 12 at uh saint thomas church in muncie indiana or wherever you know it was just everything he did was noted so People knew him on the street because he walked a lot, and he was only one Muncie who had the seeing eye dog, and he was highly visible. Um, so, things that you don't think about are, are become very important, and sometimes things are difficult. Um, my mother, for example, was very organized. She made sure that my dad only had black socks. He didn't have any brown socks because she couldn't make them. I mean, it would not do for my dad to have one black sock and one brown sock. <laughs> so how would, how did she know to buy? How did you get? She went to buy the socks. Yes, whenever so she did, bought them. How did she know to buy black socks? She had to go to the store and say, "I need some black socks." Yeah, yeah. Okay. She, she made that decision early on that it would be much easier to have all um, one color of socks. And uh, my dad didn't care much about clothes, so he was just like thinking many of other things, but not clothes. So she bought his clothes, and she made sure that. Uh, one hanger would have a suit jacket and pants. They matched, and she would make sure that the tie was right. She couldn't see the tie, but somebody would describe the tie, and they would say, yes, this goes well with it, and she would make sure it would be on the hanger together. And then all he had to do was pull them off the hanger. <laughs> Very cool. I guess you find ways when you, when you need to. You find ways to make it work. Yes. 
So it's so interesting about your father. He was a blind lawyer. Well, I guess yeah. maybe you should tell us, were they, were they always blind or they, they, they developed the blindness? Right. Um, they were both born with uh, glaucoma. Uh, both parents knew immediately that when you look at the baby's eyes, it, they were grossly enlarged it, because of the pressure uh, and the optic nerve. Very rare, not very uh, normal at all. Uh, and this was back in 1914, 1913. Um, Dad was born in Muncie, Indiana to... Um, Italian immigrants who my grandmother spoke English, but not great. My grandfather spoke very good English. Um, and my mother was born 60 miles away on a farm in central Indiana. Uh, and it was a very different upbringings, but uh, it was interesting to see the contrast as I was thinking about it and realizing, okay, Grandma Peroni, my dad's p- mother, was very Italian and very Catholic and knew there had to be a miracle. She just would not give up taking him to different doctors all over the place. And she even took him back to Italy saying, the doctors in Italy must be better than the ones in America. (laughs) So she took him there. And then when he was, excuse me, he was sorry that he couldn't do anything for her. uh, She took him up in the mountains to a faith healer. And he's like six years old and he really didn't care. He was completely blind by that time. He's like, I'm having a good time with my life. I don't care. But she did. Um, on the other hand, the farm grandparents were very practical. Their doctors said, don't bother taking her anywhere. Uh, don't spend lots of money on do- different doctors because there's no cure for glaucoma. Uh, and she will eventually be blind. My mom was a little different. She um, had some sight until she was 11, So, but it was continually dwindling. Um, and it was obvious that she couldn't see very well. Um when I look at old pictures of her, you can see the eyes are are big, but apparently she could still see a little bit to read and a little bit to write because she had some memory of that. But um, my dad had no memory of that. He was four when he completely lost his sight in a rather traumatic way. And um, that is described in the book. So um, I won't give that away right now, but, but suffice it to say that, yes, he was four. He was lucky. He had a brother, an older brother, who was three years older, and his um, parents told the older brother, Charlie, you, you're responsible for Mario. You got to take him along with you when you go play, and uh, you, you two have a good time together, but make sure that you know he gets to do things. And um, yes, he did. They got into lots of adventures. My uh, uncle was quite adventuresome. Um, yeah, wow, to start. Um, they would... He taught my dad to swim in an abandoned quarry where water was, of course, really cold and you're not supposed to be. No trespassing signs all over the place, but they, they had fun doing that. They would uh, eventually he was like 15 and back then you didn't need a driver's license. So my <laughs> uncle had saved up enough money to buy a jalopy and he taught my dad to drive the jalopy. And they're driving down the street. My dad's completely blind. <laughs> they had a method of doing that. Um, so, yeah, he, he had lots of adventures. And and that's the kind of story that I wanted to make sure I had written down because um, it, it's just too good to be lost. Tell me about how your parents met. This is a romantic story. Um, they both ended up at the School for the Blind in Indiana, in Indianapolis, which is a boarding school. This was 1920s, early 1920s. Um, Dad was there first as an eight-year-old which sort of hard to imagine saying goodbye to your eight-year-old and leaving him with strangers. Um, that's what they did. Um, and he was very grateful for it because they taught him Braille. They taught him, you know, a whole education. Um, so 
he was in fourth grade and the new girl came into the class and that happened to be Jane Small, who uh, sat across the aisle from my dad and eventually was asked by the, do uh, the doctor, the teacher to please recite a poem. And she stood up and she did recite it, but she was real nervous and she sat right back down real quick that my dad heard her voice and he really, really liked the sound of her voice. While she was saying that poem, he memorized every word that she said. And later, as he began to fall in love with her, he would hear her voice and that poem, he would run it over and over in his mind. And that helped him um, get through some really rough times. So they met in 1924 in the fourth grade. Back then, the school was totally separate. The girls were on one side of the room, the boys were on the other. They could not walk in the hallways together. They couldn't talk to each other. They had separate dining rooms. They had separate playgrounds. They were absolutely kept totally separate. So it was hard for dad to actually speak to her. And finally, I think it was in sixth grade, they were together on a project and he was thrilled to finally mm -hmm. be able to talk to her individually. Um, but then later on in high school, they had a couple of dances a year, and, and that was um, part of the story of how they really got to know each other. Eventually, they fell in love, and my mother said, yes, I would be happy to marry you, but only if you can prove to me that uh, you can um, support me and a family. Well, okay, think about that. Here this is late 30s, uh, end of the Depression, beginning of the war. Dad has to figure out a way to make money enough to that she will marry him. Well, what could a blind person do at that time? Um, the school trained them how to uh, make brooms, and he did that, and sold them in high school. Uh, and you can also cane chairs or perhaps tune a piano. And he was a very talented musician, but he said, what am I going to do with that? I guess I'd play at a bar, but I can't earn enough money to support myself, much less a family. So his older brother had decided by that time to go to Notre Dame Law School. Dad decided he would be a lawyer. So um, he followed his brother. They first graduated from high school when they were 20 years old. Um, then they went off to Ball State uh, University. Now it was Ball State Teachers College. They went there and my mom spent two years and dad uh, was there for three. And at that time, you only needed three years to get into law school. So then he went on, followed his brother to Notre Dame Law School, became the first blind graduate of the Notre Dame Law School. Wow. That's yeah. very cool. So has there been many, has there been many more since, or is he one of the few? One of the very few. I don't know of any others, but I haven't kept up with Notre Dame. So I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. but, uh, and, and when I you think about it, back in those days, there were no computers, no internet. He was dependent on readers. The state usually paid for the readers to come in on their schedule, their own time, and read the textbooks. So he had to wait for someone to come around and read the assignments to him. And he had to take notes in Braille. Uh, he had a Braille typewriter, and he also had a, well, what they call a slate and a stylus that you punch in individual letters. But all that just takes time. Uh, and so he had to listen and memorize while the person was talking. And um, I just can't imagine. I can't do that. I can't remember what I was supposed to do today. or you know, I can't remember stuff that uh, he certainly knew. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Wow. I could not yeah. imagine. You had to like, completely depend on someone else to learn so they could read to you. That's right. There's no tape recorders. I think they had a radio, but that doesn't have any... Um, uh, textbooks on it. Uh, he mm. used to listen to that for enjoyment. He loved music. But uh, yeah, so he took his test with um, 
a print typewriter. That's another skill he learned at the School for the Blind. They both were very good typists. Um, and dad learned how to do a braille typewriter. Mom didn't care about a braille typewriter, but she would type me letters. I still have some of her letters. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't imagine the pressure that he felt because if he couldn't support my mother, he couldn't get married. What was he going to do with his life? Mm-hmm. Sit around his mother's house? I mean, both of them had no option. They, well, my mother was waiting for dad to finish up school. She was back home on the farm, bored out of her mind because her mother kept saying, stay out of the kitchen. It's dangerous for you. You can't be in here. And my mother had learned some cooking skills at the school for the blind. But her own mother said, no, you can't do it. She didn't want to do anything around the house. No, no chores or anything. It's like, what is she supposed to do all day? So um, that was, those were some long, long days. And then, of course, dad felt the pressure that if he failed, then what? He would be stuck at home and he couldn't marry her. It's a good inspiration to make sure you succeed. <laughs> yeah, that it really did. I think his first year was really super, super hard because he kept thinking, "Am I good enough? Am I what? Can I make it through?" And and by golly, he did. He graduated with honors and uh, passed the bar, which is a chapter in itself on the book because um, he was anticipating taking the, the bar with his tools, with his um, print typewriter, and uh, and he figured, I'm not sure how he was going to get the questions read to him, but he was all ready to do it, and the guy said, oh, no, we're just going to ask you questions verbally, and he was like, oh, okay. Oh <laughs> so, he wasn't prepared for a verbal exam, and um, that's much different than taking, he's, you know, you can, uh, if you fail on paper, that's one thing, but if you fail in front of people, that, that's just really embarrassing. No kidding. You got you got to think like what kind of man your father was to be able to get through all that, you know, and like finally get through law school, marry a, his wife, and then have yeah. kids. My gosh. Right. Um, and he loved helping people. He was very into um, uh, public speaking. Uh, he was on many boards. He was raising uh, money for Easter seals. I didn't realize the history of Easter seals. I don't know if you have those in Canada, but back in the yeah, 40s and 50s, they were really big as a way to raise money for crippled children. So he was like chair of the Indiana Easter Seal Society, and um, he he was on a board for establishing uh, a school for kids with disabilities. I did not know until I was doing my research. Children in USA, or at least in Muncie, Indiana did not have access to school if they were in a wheelchair or if they had some sort of disability. Well, my father was uh, turned away from um, Catholic school. They they said, no, uh, he can come to religion class, but only if somebody walks him home afterwards. And then um, we can't teach him. We don't, we can't do that. (laughs) So they they thought that kids were ineducable. Uh, So he was on a board of a group of folks that, established the first school for kids with uh, disabilities in uh, another school. And uh, he actually gave up some of his lunch hours, I think, to go and teach a, a little boy Braille. It was just, uh, you know, but and the kids were so excited to be able to go to school because before they'd been shut out. Imagine that. You had to keep your kids at home mm-hmm. just because they had a disability. So then all the kids at the neighbor in the neighborhood are going to school and yeah. they're stuck at home. Right. Uh, that was really hard for my dad, especially when uh, his brother went off to school. Right. Uh, yeah, he was bored. No kidding. So, so my, one of my last questions here before we start to wrap things up is, what was it like as as you get older? Like, so your parents are now 
more established they have children what is it like growing up with with that in that type of scenario there must be plenty of challenges for everyone involved yeah there are um well besides the the lack of transportation and the frustration uh, you know honestly i didn't know that we were different until i was i don't know eight nine ten uh I mean, I couldn't wait to learn to read because then I could read the mail to my mom. Mom would get the mail every day and she would uh, touch the sides of the envelope. She would feel it and say, oh, this feels like a bill. And uh, she'd show it to me and say, yep, that's a bill from the department store. And she would put it away and dad's secretary, he would take it downtown. Dad's secretary would then um, pay the bill for him. But they're also dependent on so many people. They were dependent on us. If we wanted, if they wanted to walk someplace, for example, uh, if we were walking down to church, uh, we would uh, learn from a very early age, how do you walk with a blind person? Well, you give them your left elbow and they take it with their right hand and off you go. But you always had to remember to watch out for cracks in the sidewalk or bumps in the sidewalk. Or when you come to a curb, we learn very early. I, I was probably four years old. Uh, stop at the curb and look both ways. And they could hear, they could hear traffic coming. So they would know if there was some danger. Uh, but then I would also have to tell them, oh, this is a really high curb. Step way down. Oh, okay. So they would do that. And then off we'd go. And then I'd have to stop on the other side and they would know to put their foot up for the other so they wouldn't trip. So it's things like that that um, you don't think about. But if you want to go anywhere. Now, my mother was not taught at the School for the Blind mobility training. She never walked anywhere by herself other than around the house and in the yard. Um, dad, of course, was taught mobility. And as a boy back then, eh, they could go downtown by themselves. They could have a good time. They could do whatever they wanted. They went out and sold brooms but because uh, they were taught how to do that. But my mother never was, and she didn't want a dog. She didn't want a cane. She wanted. She was happy being home, but she was also dependent on us uh, to go shopping, for example. Uh, how many kids go dress, dress shopping with their mothers? Um and telling her what the color is and looking and saying, yeah, she would say, does this look good on me? And I would say, Meh, or yeah, that looks really nice. But most kids don't do that. Mm -hmm, for sure. All right, Mary, it's time to wrap things up. Is there anything that we missed that you wanted to go over? Oh, there's so many stories. <laughs> Just read my book because uh, there's a lot more fun ones in there than uh, I could possibly tell in five minutes. For sure. And then tell us how we can get a hold of your book. On Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble has it, um, and uh, yeah, uh, you can also email me at uh, my email address, uh, mary at maryp.harper.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mary. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. We so much appreciate you coming on. And we appreciate Mary coming in and sharing such a great story with us. I hope you get a chance to pick up her, her book. I feel like that's one of those stories that is going to stick with us. Like for me, living in a state of gratitude and thinking about all the things that we have and all the things that we take for granted. Think about matching your socks in the morning. And I know it's a thing. Like I feel like it's a, it's a younger thing where kids are specifically wear unmatching socks on purpose. <laughs> And I'm okay with that. Personally, I like my socks to match. <laughs> but think about that. Like you waking up in the morning and not knowing if your if your socks match. Or waking up in the morning and having someone else pick out your clothes for you. And walk, walking to the, not being able to drive or not being able to. Or, or having to need someone there with you to walk you to the store. And we have different things now. Like we have seeing eye dogs that I'm sure help out in a big manner. Truthfully, I don't know a ton about 
the blind community, but I, I feel like now it would be a much easier time to get around than back then, for sure. And then raising children, like you you have a wife that you're taking care of, and often that wife is taking care of you as well. You have your kids that are helping out, like that's a unit. <laughs> that's a family unit coming together and helping one another out and navigating through challenges of life and trying to figure out how to make it all work. Like Life is hard enough, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty clear statement life is hard enough for those that don't have disabilities like that like my grandmother couldn't hear for example so i helped her out at a young age and this is taking it to the next level having your kids help help dress you and help you walk you to the store or help you walk to work so you know you, that you're going to the right place or you're going to the right area and i think it was their history too was was quite interesting of how they got together and then they both had very different upbringings as well both of her mother and father of, I suppose, becoming blind and what they did as as children and then as they moved forward, what they were able to do as adults is pretty cool story. And I'm super grateful that Mary came on to join us and then I and I have the ability to share that with you all. So at any rate, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to leave you with that. I hope you enjoyed the show. All past shows on are our, our on exploringmindandbody.com. Our main website is trueformlife.com. That's more holistic natural types of recipes, uh, workouts, grocery shopping. As we we kind of handle all that through our MAP program, which is our Metabolism Accelerator program. Uh, but you can find out more about that on the website or on our social media. So any questions at all, please reach out. Thank you so much for being here with us and we wish you all the best. Have a wonderful day and um, take care for, for now. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia in health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Tadia, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Tadia, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.